Welcome back to the Liberty on Fire podcast. I'm your host, Libertarian Tony. Well, if this is your first time listening to this show, well, thank you very much. And if you are a repeat listener, well, then I also want to say thank you for coming back and listening to each and every show. Please don't forget to visit my website when you get a chance, libertyonfire.org, where you can get the podcast directly over the internet and links to support pages for the show to help keep the lights on and for some of the products that I'm going to recommend who I happen to be an affiliate marketer for. So if you want to support the show and you're interested in some of the products that I'm helping to promote, then go to my website and either make a donation on the Patreon page, which of course will also be in the show notes, or check out some of the products I'm advertising and see what you think. But remember to click on it through my link at my website or through the show notes. If you are a social media person, well then you can also check me out on Twitter at LOF Podcast. So that's L-O-F Podcast. And please don't forget to give me a five-star review on Apple Podcast or whatever medium you're using to download and listen to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Hey, Joey, welcome back to the Liberty on Fire podcast. How you doing? Good. How you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm, uh, I guess I'm getting uh, kind of antsy to see what happens with the 2020 election this year. It's going to be a battle. Oh, yeah, and we're off to a good start in Iowa. Yeah, I know. That's freaking... I don't even know what's happening. Do we it, know what happened yet? Um, all right, so I just looked like an hour ago, and Bernie's already talking about it. He's on the news, and it looks like he ended up with more votes than Buttigieg, but then Buttigieg ended up with more delegates. It's kind of like uh, an electoral college type win. So he got the Bernie got the popular vote, but then more people or more delegates wanted um, Bernie instead. I don't know. It, I it, it just stinks of rigging. Yeah, I I don't even understand what happened. It was some app that they were using, and then they, you know, it was failing, and they didn't even test the app or something. Yeah, so I don't know. They apparently there's ties from Buttigieg and Hillary Clinton to the creator of this app, and they tried it out, or maybe they never tested it right, and it crashed, and then their backup plan crashed. But I mean. Anybody it's probably hacked by Russia. Oh yeah, could have been. Sure. Yeah, we could probably we should probably look at Trump and see if he was involved. Definitely Trump. He's definitely squirrely. But yeah, I mean, just think in the back of your mind someplace, is it a possibility that they were using the app and Bernie was running away with it and they were like, We can't have this, let's crash the app. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I thought I heard that he was running away at, like when the numbers first came in or something. I don't know, actually. I have no idea. But uh, That's probably what it is, though. Well, today we're supposed to be talking about the uh, State of the Union uh, address that Trump gave. And I, I don't think we can really talk about every single thing he said, otherwise we'd be here forever. But I do have a bunch of topics that I thought at least stood out to me that I want to chat about. And I'm sure you have some, too. Is that right? Yeah, but first, overall, what did you like the State of the Union Yes. Um, okay. I mean, it, it's, it still r rang out to me like a big campaign speech, and I think a lot of people probably have that impression as well. Um, but yeah, it, it still, I think it left you at the end kind of optimistic. Kind of optimistic, man. You are. I, to me, it was an awesome State of the Union. And it, yeah, it was a campaign speech, and I'm voting for Trump because of that State of the Union. That's how I felt. Okay. Well, I mean, that's fine. But we, we, we can uh, we can go through some of the issues, and maybe you'll feel the same or differently. All right. Let's go through them. Okay. Um, so immigration was brought up, and the whole open borders thing, the uh, illegal immigrant crime in sanctuary cities. So he, he used a couple of, of props, and for lack of a better word, I'm going to call them props. He had a, a guy that was promoted— uh, on the, uh, he was, I guess he's on border patrol and he got a promotion. So he brought him there and then he had a, a victim of, uh, I guess the brother of a victim of an illegal immigrant crime or somebody that was let loose after they were captured and they really should have been deported. So, and you have any comments on that? Um, yeah, so you're going out of order. That was pretty late in, I think where it was like 40 minutes in the, um, some of that stuff. And yeah, it was, um, 
Raul Ortiz, I think his name was. And what I thought was was interesting is when when they shout out this guy Ortiz, Trump said that in the last 24 months, just the last 24 months alone, that he seized more than 200 pounds of narcotics, and as he's arrested more than 3,000 human smugglers, and you know rescued like 2,000 migrants. And I'm like, man, see that's the stuff that's like stats that that he's referencing that's happened recently under his admin. That to me it sounds amazing. Like really, you, you this guy sees more than two hundred thousand pounds of drugs in the last twenty four months. Like awesome job. Thanks for shouting out Raul Ortiz. And I think that it's pretty cool that he's you know oh, oh like well the majority of the shout outs what you called props, um, they were all minority. The majority of them. I thought that was smart anyway by Trump. Oh yeah, no you know, that... the first few were for were black guys and that was very smart. Yeah, no again, um, the listeners should. If they haven't listened to my podcast, I think was it just the other day, I've released one of that Trump is a market uh, or marketing genius. Uh, yeah. I talk about things like that. And this came out again in his speech. He's great at marketing certain things. And, and that's why I loved it. You know, I didn't, I'm not super critical yet on what's true or sort of true. I just, as a marketing standpoint, it was really pretty good. And, and on that whole uh, border and ICE and immigration thing, I don't know if you want to comment about what I just said about Ortiz, but another thing that Trump said was uh, that illegal crossings are down 75%, you know, since May with new cooperations with Mexico. These are type of things that sound amazing to me, I, but I haven't looked up to see the truth of them. But just taking them at face value, it was like a, it was really good and powerful thing to, to hear. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, who knows, right? Because uh, Trump will put out a statistic or a claim and it can be easily refuted a lot of times. So, you know, is right. he em embellishing? Probably. Right. And that's my thing. I didn't go and look up the truth behind it all. And who knows? I don't know. Maybe 75% is true. Maybe 25% is true. But acting like I'm just sort of a, an audience, which I am, who doesn't know, who doesn't know that whether it's true or not, which is true, um, taking everything at face value, it came off really well to me. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, just talking about immigration policy might take too long uh, for this sort of podcast. It's a whole separate podcast on its own. But I think in general, uh, I'm not an open borders type libertarian. I'm, a, I'm more of a closed borders or a, you know, I just, I just kind of think we need to know who's coming into the country, right? So yeah. I don't know if a wall is the best way to do it. There are probably other ways to do it, but I am in, I'm totally in favor of deporting criminals. So, yeah, the fact that we do have states and cities in this country that are shielding criminals from, I guess, being deported, I don't think is a good idea because then they go on to commit more crimes. Right, and he did bring that up, right? He brought up that guy, um, man, I forget his name, Rocky Jones or something, and his brother was there. His brother was Jody, and um, Rocky was killed by some some guy in California who was a what Trump referred to as a criminal alien, who had like five assault charges against him prior. But um, they released him and didn't you know bring him into they didn't let ICE detain him upon ICE's you know request, and he went out and went on some sort of big killing spree apparently. Maybe you know more about that guy since you live in California. I don't really know, but the the bad guy went on a killing spree, injured people, um, and ended up killing you know Rock, Rocky Jones, and his brother was there. So that that was a powerful message about you know because he was talking about the sanctuary cities and how there's lawmakers in this own building who who support you know sanctuary cities and and not giving these illegals up to ICE and stuff and brought up the dangers of that. Okay, but that was good. So rather than move on, I, I got one more comment on this. I think Trump also said in this speech that he wanted to make it possible so that people, victims, and their families can sue the sue, government. Yeah. Okay, so yes. how, how do you feel about that? Um, I, I didn't. It wasn't one of the things that I that I took away as being awesome because I didn't quite understand how that how that would work. Okay, so here here's my comment: if you allow victims to just sue the government, uh then you're just putting the taxpayer on the hook, right? How about mm -hmm. allowing the victims to sue the politicians who voted for the policy, right? So mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of lefties in California vote to have a sanctuary state, and then 
bad shit happens, right? People get killed, people get hurt, raped, and then the victims or the victims' family members uh, not necessarily sue the government, but sue those politicians that voted to uh, to have that policy of that sanctuary city or city or sanctuary state. I think that makes more sense because that puts the politicians directly responsible for the bad policy. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I like the idea of politicians being responsible, especially if they're not holding their end uh, of what their constituents voted for or they're not keeping them safe. And that actually kind of um, sort of brings me to something off topic, but it reminds me of Mitt Romney right now. And, um, you know, I feel like his own voters should be able to complain about him, but that's a separate topic. But yeah, I agree. Okay. I agree with that. All right. Um, just to keep us moving along, uh, health care for illegals came up. And I just, obviously Trump's against that, right? And most, uh, I think every Democratic nominee in 2020 is for it. I'm not sure how Trump can stop it at the state level. I mean, maybe he won't allow a federal program for it, but the states can pretty much do whatever they want as they should. So, yeah, I don't know... Maybe he just wants to come out and say he's against it. What do you think? Yeah, that one to me was this is why I thought his statement was awesome for a couple of reasons. Like this was a very like campaign marketing. Look at me opposed to or versus my uh, Democrat opposition right now. And he mentioned, you know, 132 lawmakers in this room right now have endorsed a socialist takeover of our healthcare system. And then he mentioned that a bunch of them want to provide free healthcare to illegal immigrants. So that was more of the um, look at what I'm facing, you know, type of thing. I think that was more of a campaign thing. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It was great marketing. Uh, I'm okay with uh, people paying for other people's health care as long as you're responsible directly. So, you know, let's say you're a wealthy person and you want to adopt, you know, a bunch of people and pay for their health care. Then yeah. go right ahead. But you shouldn't, yeah. you shouldn't be able to vote for everybody else in the country to have to pay as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and this whole section that he was bringing this up was when he was sort of bashing the idea of socialism and stuff. So I think that this was all really pointed at Bernie Sanders, that, that part. Yeah, so I mean, so I'd be in favor of some sort of sponsorship program or, you know, if a bunch of people want to get together online and put like a, a GoFundMe uh, oh, yeah. you know, thing together and raise money for health care for illegals, then go right ahead. It's, it's your own it's your own time. It's your own dollar. And but you, yeah, if you support it, if you live in California or whatever, and you're like super liberal and you support it, yeah, start things like that. Look how good GoFundMe has been for other causes. Like you know, create a bigger scale one if that's what you want. Yeah, and yeah. and voting uh, to have the government take the money from all the taxpayers and put it in a fund that's not uh, that's not charity. That's theft. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, I do like this part. Uh, he kind of talked about ending the war in Afghanistan. He had that one guy who uh, he brought back to his family. The wife and two kids were in the audience, and it was a very oh, touching. Oh, the very end, yeah. Yeah, it was a very touching moment, and he had a whole bunch of the generals sitting down there on the, I guess, down in the lobby area, and they were looking up, and maybe they had tears in their eyes, maybe not, but I'm hoping that that prop is going to set up the end of war in Afghanistan that's been going on for what twenty years now. Yes, and, and that was a good uh, that was a good closure. That was the last audience shout out. And first off, I don't think I've seen this many audience shout out. That's what I'm calling. You're calling them props. I don't think I've seen this many live props before in the State of the Union address. I haven't seen that many State of the Union addresses though. But it was really well done. It was like a TV show. I mean, it was everyone was there in, in person. It had a big. In, impact i think as a viewer and yeah and that was the last one i think it was a really good message too and yeah about sort of about getting our troops home and they were reunited and everyone was clapping that's another thing i don't know if we want to mention you know of course half the room not clapping or, or all the democrats but everyone was clapping there those army general dudes looked a little happy but th it was weird those guys looked a little like serious for most of the speech that was one of the moments where they showed some emotion at least i think they always look serious yeah, you're right. they, they, they just want to bomb people. I what about <laughs> um, uh, what real quick Pence? Is, is he a real? You think he's a real human? No, um, he, he's probably a cyborg. That's my. Guess. I think he's cyborg too. I think he's a robot. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I agree. He 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 smiles and claps, and mm -hmm. I think that's all he does. I mean, it all depends on his programming. 
Yeah, exactly. He's he's kind of wound up, and then he laughs for three hours to smile, little clap, little wave. I don't think I've ever seen him talk before. No, and then he has to recharge his battery. Well, I guess since uh, we just brought up the Afghanistan thing, um, I do. We can talk about the military spending. So Trump talked about investing a record number of money in the military, two point three, two point two trillion. Well, that number is obviously added together of three years worth of military spending. Yeah. However. I mean, we have had the largest military in the world now for like the past 75 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look at all the aircraft carriers and all the planes and ships and the troops that our weapons have, all that crap, no one even comes close to us. Every year, Mm -hmm. every year we spend more money on our military than the next 10 countries combined. I mean, we've been doing this for years. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. no need to have a military this large problems arise when you have a huge military like if it's being stagnant not being put to use well then in my opinion i think you have them presidents and administrations and congress are like sitting around and they can be kind of easily talked into you know having the military go and bomb somebody as part of foreign policy instead of trading with them i don't i don't think this is a good thing okay so tony yes i love the military um so do you and unfortunately, I think you're right. Okay, I, I agree with you now, partly because you have shown me some of this topic, and I've looked at military waste, and I've seen trillions of dollars or close to it, uh, definitely billions, go to things that we have not even used or they have failed as projects over the, like 10 years. Okay, so I think you're right. But... I don't know what you want him to do. Do you want Trump to come out there and be like, we've we've shrunk our military spending and we're now spending way less on military? And, I mean, this is definitely a campaign thing again. It, it is just to look good, you know, at face value as uh, in contrast to coming off of uh, Obama because Obama was sort of shrinking military and, and uh, Trump has a America first, bigger, better, than ever, as good as we were in the past, make America great again, and that very much involves our military as part of the marketing speech in there. So to him and the, and the constituents, the people that, you know, you could call them, you know, maybe a little naive, but it, it looks good that, yeah, Trump beefed up our military and we're back to being the best. I think the truth is you're right, though, but I, but I it looks good. You know what I mean? I think, yeah, I agree with you. It looks good to the typical voter, right? It looks good to people who don't pay attention to politics, don't pay attention to the numbers. And I I don't know, I kind of want to blame people, but at the same time, I can't because everybody's got lives and you got to go to work, you make the money, you pay the bills, you take care of the kids. Mm -hmm. And then maybe what, you get an hour at night to pay attention to the news or something. And just, yeah, people are really removed from politics most i think most of the country is and they kind of pay attention the last couple of months up until a big election or something so yeah. it's it's a hard it's a it's a hard i guess position to convince people on because the military is so ingrained in our society i mean if you look at the all the football games and baseball games the pentagon exactly. pentagon just spends tons of money by throwing these troops in your face at the start of every game and having these military uh, air force jet flyovers and stuff i mean this is i don't think that should happen i i don't i think we need a separation of the military from uh i guess everyday society yeah and not only that it's you know it's definitely popular in media as far as film goes military movies are are really cool sometimes right all that kind of stuff. So it, it it appears good, and and you know we're we're also dealing with when Trump first came to offense, the threat of ICE and Islamic terrorism, and uh, you know the battling that of course is under the military category. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So seeing you know you get the uh, this that one thing Trump said about about ISIS in the in the territory that they had control over you know three years ago or something compared to now they have practically nothing. You know, people will equate that with Trump's bolstering of the military and America first and and it's all kind of lumped under the same category there for a for a viewer or audience. So or voter. I, I'm glad you brought up ISIS because I, I have a I have a good thing to say uh, about Trump when it regards to ISIS and a bad thing. Okay. So Trump well, 
good thing he did when he came into office was that he stopped the CIA arming of ISIS in the first place. I don't know if you remember, but ISIS was essentially created by Barack Obama and the CIA when they thought it would be a good reason to arm these radical al-Qaeda Islamic terrorist mm-hmm. people in the Middle East in order to go and attack Assad in Syria. And mm-hmm. they, they wanted these you know, terrorists or these al-Qaeda people to go and do this because Assad was friendly with Iran. And somehow they thought they could weaken Iran this way without attacking Iran. So obviously, that was a really stupid move. And the fact that Obama gave money and weapons to our sworn enemy, al-Qaeda, means he is still guilty of war crimes. And so anybody can go look this up. It's all over the internet now. It's called Operation Timber Sycamore, and it was real. Well, anyway, when Trump came into office, I think in 2017, he stopped this. He stopped the money and guns going to these ISIS fighters. So that was the good move. And then he helped destroy ISIS, but when you look at like all the research done by the independent journalists out there, the destruction of ISIS looks like it was primarily carried out by Syria, Iran, and Russia. But we, we helped, but to go around saying that he destroyed ISIS, this is a little bit uh, disingenuous, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you know more about me than in this topic. I don't know how many you know special ops uh program um missions we've done since trump took over compared to obama and what we exactly accomplished that led to isis kind of diminishing um but uh i'm you know trump's taking credit for it we wouldn't know the the normal american voter is not going to be none the wiser all they see is we haven't had any attacks on you know our soil or the threat hasn't seemed to be there before you know we, we were dealing with some of that um so they're they're seeing Definitely a difference there, and it, it, he appears to look good, and he takes credit for it, and I think, yeah, you know, it plays well. I give I give Trump a probably a much better than just passing grade on that. He, even though um, he's boasting a little bit, he did end the money and guns going to ISIS. I have to give him credit for that. And then he knew it was a bad idea what Obama did and the CIA, so he went after ISIS. So, I mean, he gets at least, I think, a B-plus from me on that one. Okay, cool. All right, um, I guess we're still kind of on foreign policy-ish. What did you think of the whole Juan Guaido thing in Venezuela? Um, well, I thought that was cool that he was, that guy was there, and I liked I liked how it was another bash of socialism. It was kind of like in-your-face Bernie Sanders, you know what I mean? And I thought it was interesting that the U.S. is leading some sort of coalition with uh, 59 other nations to, um, you know, go against this socialist dictator of Venezuela. And I like how he, you know, labels him socialist dictator of Venezuela, evil Nicolas Maduro. You know, he calls him an illegitimate ruler, and then he, he introduces the guy you're talking about, Juan, what's his name, Guido? Guaido. Guaido, who's, uh, the, he calls the legitimate president, and he got a huge standing ovation, and um, I thought that played really well. It was one of the big, for the one of the big audience sort of shout-outs or props. And uh, after he does all that, he, he sort of craps on socialism again. And his quote was like, socialism destroys nations, uh, but always remember freedom unifies the soul. Um, I thought it was good. I, I liked how it's in contrast to people who like socialism who are in the room right now. Because the Democrat platform has become, since it's now being led by Bernie Sanders, he's the, the front runner now, the Democrat platform has a bona fide socialist as their front runner. So I, I like any opportunities like this. I don't know, did you have a different thought? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So okay. right, I um, I will give you that much. Using Juan Guaido as a reason and a prop, another prop, to bash socialism, I think is fine. However, right. Juan Guaido is just another CIA stooge. He was never elected as their leader Nicolas Maduro was. So if we pretend mm-hmm. to, to care about democracy, well then, you know, it's Maduro. It's not Juan Guaido. We don't get to pick the leaders of foreign countries, whether we like them or not. And I would rather not see us get involved in Venezuela because every single time, if you look at our foreign policy track record, every single time we get involved in leadership and in uh, other countries' elections, 
we screw things up. And we, we screw things up, not just a little, but like horribly and for years. And people, like lots of people die and then lots of people suffer for years. The, the idea that we can go around instilling or, you know, or installing leaders that are friendly to the United States and everything's going to be all hunky-dory is a failed theory. I mean, that's never worked. So uh, go ahead. You have a comment? So, so, you, don't, so you don't like the, Trump's stance or his, his, um, what he said about leading a coalition against this guy who was actually elected, Nicolas Maduro. That's the, that's the thing you don't like. Horrible idea. I, I, I don't think we should be involved at all. But to me, the impactful part of the State of the Union at this section was not so much that part. It, it was it was the call out against socialism to me. And I think it was, like I just said, how the Democrat Party is now faced by socialism. They, they have, they're way more friendly towards socialism than they ever were in the history of the United States. You know, it's, a, it's an actual party platform now for Democrats. And you're bringing in a guy who you're saying is a freedom lover, anti-socialist on the other side, and we're all clapping for him. You know, that was the that was the, the view. And it had to have been uncomfortable for the Democrats who are there, especially the leading Democrat candidate, Bernie Sanders, who has to sit there and not clap for this guy because he you know, we all know he loves socialism. It, it was just that whole optic and that whole, you know, uh, impact of it. That that's how, what I got out of this section. Not so much the uh you know, leading a co- getting involved in Venezuela, and I think I truly think maybe you're right about getting involved is a bad idea, but I really think it was more about that whole optics of bashing on socialism. That's how I took it anyway. Dude, I have to say I love your optimism. I I think it's great, and but um, the the cynical side of me, you're gonna love this. I think is that um, you you know, getting involved in Venezuela or getting involved in anything in general is a bad idea. If yes. both the Democrats and Republicans agree on it, and the Democrats mm-hmm. crapped that, or they clapped a lot for the Juan Guaido, so that yeah. that was kind of funny. Oh um, uh, yeah, they both did. Um, that was one of the few times they both, everyone in the room, did clap. Right. Yeah. Bipartisanship means means uh, more terror and destruction around the world, and probably tax rates going up. Oh jeez. <laughs> okay. So. Um, Cool. I think this is going well. Let's keep going. Uh, paid family leave. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. I figured you'd say something there. Oh, my God. So, to me, this is just another government program. This is more socialism. And, I mean, th- if you carry this to its conclusion, I mean, what's going to happen? Well, if you take a company and your government has a law now that forces that company to pay for family leave for some, you know, when people have kids, you go out uh, for a certain amount of break. I mean, what's going to happen? The company can't lose money on that employee, right? Otherwise, mm-hmm. that job will have to go away. Okay, so the company has to stay solvent. It just means everybody else's wages are going to take a hit, or their benefits will, right? So their wages overall will probably go down if companies are forced to pay for this family leave. What do you think? I, I don't think you're uh, wrong, and I just accept that that's one of the consequences of paid family leave, and I'm not totally against that program. Well, I'm I'm not either as long as it's voluntary. I just don't want the government mandating it. What do you think? Yeah, I always when you when you put it that way, I I never argue with it because I always like that idea of you know not having the government mandate, but it's voluntary. And I think you're right that it would be mostly uh, probably. Maj- primarily or the majority of companies would make it part of what they offer. Mm-hmm. So you probably don't need government getting in you know involved and forcing it. I hate when governments force something they don't have to. Um, but overall, as far as government programs go, as far as socialist programs go, I it's not one that I you know that I really hate. And, and this is a topic that the Democrats like to talk about. And so again, uh, Trump, not necessarily being a true conservative, uh, he's picking this up and running with it because he, th- I think he thinks he can steal a few more votes this way. Uh, yep. If, if he brands himself as, hey, you know, we, we're great, great economy, great on all these other things, and I want to have paid family leave. I mean, it just gives him yeah. one more little feather in his cap, I think, for the election. I think if you like that kind of thing, then maybe you should 
point out what other programs are wasteful that you're getting rid of, mm-hmm. for one. And I also think no Republican politician would get rid of that anyway, even if they are conservative. I think it's a political loser, and Republicans know that. So it's something. It's just like no Republican's going to tell you the truth and, and like actually tell you what's going to happen with Social Security. There's like some things that both sides, you know, know they can't really tackle. It's hard to to get votes to be reelected if they try and be honest about it. I think you know this is one of those times. And his daughter is a big fan of, you know, this that program. So she, maybe she sort of pushed him into that. Right. And and because these politicians refuse to tell the truth and tackle some of these really hard topics, I think they're all cowards. Um, well, it'd be interesting to one day see a guy who tackles them all the right way, which ends up causing some short-term pain in you know exchange for long-run awesomeness. But uh, knowing that he's not going to get reelected, you know, after four years, I don't think we'll ever see that. But probably not. You know, that's what it would take. Okay. Um, next topic I could bring up is school choice. He had that uh, yeah, single black. Uh, you know, mom with her daughter, and she was yeah, s- stuck in uh, crappy government schools. I forget what he called it, failing government school or crappy or something like that. Yeah, and, a failing government school, yep. And I, I'm very happy he brought it up, and I'm, I'm in favor of a school choice program. I mean, I prefer it, all schools would be completely privatized, but I think this is probably a step in the right direction if the... If the rules are written properly, I think the devil's always in the details. So what do you you think? Well, I thought this moment was really cool again because another prop, like as you call it, another audience shout out, and this one had some some extra weight to it. So yeah, he brings up, he he mentions Janiah as her name, is a student. She's on the waiting list in Pennsylvania. He introduces her mom, Stephanie, who's a single parent. Black family again, and I think this is a theme, a purpose for him. I think he wants to show like friendliness and, and what good things he's doing, and you know, sh- come off as not a racist guy, which we know he's not a racist guy, um, because a lot of them were minorities. Uh, this is a, another black girl, and anyway, um, so her her place, Pennsylvania, they vetoed legislation to expand school choice to 15k, so it kept her on the waiting list, and she doesn't get into the good schools or whatever. But then on the spot, he tells her, "Hey, Janaya, we have some good news. You know, um, an opportunity for scholarships become available, and you can go to whatever school you know you want." And that was really cool to see. And then immediately after that whole show, he then calls on Congress to pass what he called the Education Freedoms Scholarships and Opportunities Act. So that was a little cool. It was like a, a, a little show, gets him some good, um, you know, he's showing, helping black people out here again, and then he gets to uh, call on Congress for a new thing. It was it was all really smart, anyway, though, in my opinion. He's a genius marketer, like I said in the last podcast. Um, so school choice, my understanding is that a a decent school choice program will look something like that the the money follows the child, right? So if your kid is going to a crappy public school and there's a better school down the street, right, or in another neighborhood, and then you want to take as a parent, right, as a parent, you care more about the education of your child than anybody else, that you care more about the education of your child more than a politician would, obviously, you should be able to pluck your student out of the failing school, put them in the better school, and then the funds supporting that kid's education is supposed to follow the child. I think that's how the program is supposed to work. That's how I've had it. I've heard it talked uh, about before, and I think it makes sense. I think it's a, it's a good stepping stone in the right direction. Yeah, I don't know anything about the the actual thing that they're proposing or how it works, so I can't even comment on if it's good or not. All I, all I know is the section of that that said the unit address looked pretty good and came off well. Optics were good. That's right. Right. Okay. Uh, Protecting the Second Amendment. So uh, I'm glad he mentioned it. Not sure how he can do that at the state level, but at the federal level, I mean, he's not supposed to pass anything, any type of anti-gun laws at all, according to the Constitution, but somehow he federally banned bump stocks. So I don't know. I mean, it's nice that he acknowledged it, but I don't know what he could actually do do from you know the general government level 
Yeah, I mean, he, all he really said was, you know, as long as I'm president, I'm going to keep your right to keep and bear arms. I mean, that's good to know. I think he was just throwing out there a little line like, and remember, I'm pro-Second Amendment. Yeah, I think he, he was doing that to capture the pro-gun uh, vote. Yeah, so. just yeah, just a, a reminder. Right, I mean, because we have, you still have states like where I live in California, I can't carry. I mean, I can have a gun in the house. And that's mm-hmm. about it. I can't, I can't carry outside the house without getting some sort of special permission from the sheriff, who, as you would have guessed, he never gives special permission out unless you're politically connected to him somehow and you get some sort of, like you give him maybe $10,000 for a re-election or something like that, you'll probably get a permit to carry. Yeah, those are always weird, logical things to me. It's like, if you went for a permit to carry, what is that going to do? Make you more likely to go be crazy and shoot someone up? I mean, if you were going to do something illegal, then you would you would already break the law about not carrying. Well, that is exactly right, my friend. Okay, um, to keep things going, I do like that he brought up, um, I guess, a topic about kill- not killing babies, about saving newborns, and then he had that young mom and her, I guess, two-year-old daughter, where she was born at like 21 weeks, and and she survived, right, with modern medicine. Yeah. So I, I think that sent a nice message to people. It's like, you, you don't have to abort your children. We can save them. And yeah, I, I, I like the idea of saving babies rather than killing them. Yeah, it was really good because it, it, it was Trump saying, I'm pro-life. I have an example right here for everyone to see and if, a, if someone who was born at 21 weeks weighed a pound apparently weighed or less than a pound i don't know hmm. um and survived and there she was you know full well a little girl you know but in full health and everything and then immediately after that you know which is crazy because the the democrat platform is now about pro choice from from zero to like eight months. I mean, it's a radical position that they have. I mean, I don't know how many people actually acknowledge that their platform on pro-choice is radical. And I don't mean pro-choice itself is radical, but the the uh, you know late-term abortions is is part of their platform. That's a radical position. I don't care who you are. And he then, after he showed this off, showed Eli Schneider, I think her name was, he then called on Congress to pass legislation to ban late-term abortions. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think if, if you're going to... You're going to have abortion. It, it, you're a woman, and you want to make the choice and have the choice. you got to make that choice earlier on. You can't, right. you can't carry the baby until eight, eight and a half months, nine months, and be like, oh, no, I made a bad decision. I want to kill the baby. I, right. I, I'm against that. I mean, these, these babies can easily survive outside the womb past a certain age. I mean, easily past six months now. And now, I, yeah, it, it's at some point, you, you got to recognize that if that's a life— and you're actually killing a life, and you're not just killing, you know, an old person or something, right? That, uh, mm-hmm. that's on death row, or you know, you're killing a baby, a defenseless baby. So, yeah, I have I have trouble with that. Um, I I like uh, this is another topic now that uh, he mentioned that the people, a uh, number of people, are coming off of food stamps. And I think overall, the number is probably not as important, but the trend, I think, should always be down. I mean, we want less government dependency, not more. So if this is a real number and the trend is going down, well, then I think this is a good thing. Um, yeah, and I think it's definitely a good thing. He said like that under the last administration, more than 10 million people were added to the food stamp rolls. And under his administration, 7 million people have come off. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if that's true or, or not, but that sounds, you know, that was at the beginning of the speech where he was, he was pretty much going off, going on the whole, like what little, like random, what have I done for the country so far? And that sounded really good to me, if that's true. And I know there was someone like, I think maybe Rashida, Rashida Tlaib or, or someone else, part of that uh, squad, whatever, who said they were disgusted by, by when Trump said that, because people depend on on food stamps and welfare and to take them away. And I'm like, but he didn't take them away. He, he was saying people have risen up out of those and no longer need those government dependencies. You know, and I thought that was really good, if true. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, one, 
one government program after the next is designed by the Democrats to buy votes. And if you're giving people free money for food, and then you can say, hey, vote for me. I, I think they are doing exactly what they accused Trump of doing in the last election, you know, having the Russians meddle in, which was all fake. They are just buying votes. They're meddling mm -hmm. in the election by buying votes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and, and, go ahead. And I know you're driving the topic, but right above that kind of section when he was talking about that, he was previously talking about jobs. Okay. And, and, and maybe like a race you know, how the jobs are going among all the races. What what about that section, would you think? Okay, so I've got a whole bunch of comments on some of the economic numbers. And so uh, if you look at the unemployment rate, right? Well, I mean, I think this is one of the economic numbers that Trump actually got right. I mean, this is one of the lowest rates, unemployment rates in a very long time across the spectrum for every race, right? However, mm -hmm. when you when you look at the graph going back to 2010, uh, basically when we were coming out of a recession and mm -hmm. things were turning around for uh, Barack Obama, the, the trend downwards in unemployment is un already there. Yeah. It's unchanged from Barack Obama right. to Donald Trump. So yeah, it's definitely lower now under Trump than it was under Obama. Okay. However, you know, let's remember that recessions don't come at high unemployment rates. The high unemployment rate comes after the recession has already started. So mm -hmm. it, if you think of it like this, businesses start feeling a crunch in their profits. So what do they do? Well, first they stop hiring. And then once they stop hiring, if that doesn't affect the profit margins, well, then uh, they have to remain profitable in order to stay solvent. Then they start cutting jobs. So when we're in the boom phase, and as we've now been for a long time, businesses are adding jobs on net. But once these profits start to waver, businesses will stop hiring, and then they'll start firing. And then people also feel the crunch, right, in their pocketbook, so they stop spending. And that, of course, then hurts business profits. They go down more, and then they start firing, and then certain businesses will go under completely, and then a lot of more people out of work, and you get like this spiral. But the whole recession, the, the recession starts first, and then the unemployment comes later. So if our unemployment rate was high, then we could say, oh yeah, we just came out of a recession and the un unemployment rate is expected to go, to go down now. So I, I don't know if this is something we could be super optimistic about because the fact that we're at record low unemployment rates does not mean the recession that a recession is not right around the corner, right? So I don't, I don't know if we can be as optimistic about this particular number as we should be. Well, I have a few commercials for you guys. I'm an affiliate marketer for several different companies, which I do recommend if you're interested in such products. And you have my word that I'm only going to promote stuff that I actually use and that I actually think is a great value. So I want to tell you a little bit about Captivate FM. I use Captivate FM as my podcast hosting platform, and it's probably the best podcast hosting platform there is. Captivate is said to be the apple of podcast hosting, and the value is certainly undeniable. And you can get seven free days just for trying it out. I host my podcast through Captivate, which is the world's only growth-oriented podcast host, and you can too. Next up is the McClanahan Academy. So this is at mclanahanacademy.com, and that's M-C-C-L-A-N-A-H-A-N. And a little bit about Brian McClanahan, who created this academy. He's an author of six books and a renowned historian. He got his Ph.D. in history at the University of South Carolina. He has written numerous articles for many websites and magazines. He has nine courses for sale right now on his website covering pre- and post-Civil War American history. And he's a fantastic historian and will give it to you straight. And the next product I want you to check out is called Liberty Classroom. And you can go to libertyclassroom.com to take a look. And you can get the history and economics they didn't teach you in school. Several fantastic historians and economists have courses on this site, which you can play over the internet or through a phone app on such topics as philosophy, American history, Western civilization, the American presidents, and the interesting connection between science fiction and liberty. You can also get courses on history of economic thought, current economic thought, 
And remember, this is the true history you didn't get in school without the political correctness that we all love to hate. And please remember, if you're going to try out any of these products, I only get credit if you click on one of them through either my website or through the show notes on my podcast. Okay, now let's get back into the show. I know that you're not going to be in... Me neither, to be honest. And I knew that the trend was already going down this way. Like you said, looked at a graph from 2010, you know, under Obama, the employment rate was going down and down and down and down to the point where it would have been here at this point, seemingly, if it just kept going on that trend, regardless of who was the president. And we were very critical of that employment rate dropping when Obama was taking credit for it because of the types of jobs people leaving the, the workforce at, you know, mostly service sector jobs to begin with. And when it comes to jobs, you know, a lot of it is quantity, sorry, quality over quantity. You know, it's, it's good paying jobs versus are people getting too, um, you know, fast food working jobs or whatever, or a lot of service sector jobs. So, um, I always thought Trump was a little bit hypocritical when it came to the job numbers and taking and really, um, hyping those up as in the, the unemployment numbers, because he criticized Obama during that time as well. When he was running for president, he called them phony. He said he looked at a, a five or 6% unemployment and said, it's really like 20, which I think he exaggerated that, but he was, that's what he was saying. And then as soon as he took office and the numbers kept going down on the trend, he just totally took all the credit for him. But I will say that I used to look beneath the surface of the job reports monthly, you know, and I used to look at what kind of jobs they were, and they mostly were crap. And when during the first year of Trump's presidency, I was still looking, and they were better jobs. For uh, there's still a lot of service sector, but there was better jobs, uh, you know, in that jobs report and more. So I haven't looked in a while. All I know is the low number. You know, we were on the trend anyway. Um, I'm not sure if it's a big thing to take credit for, but it's a winner as far as talking about it. You can't lose when you when you brag about the rate. So it was good for him to mention. There were a couple of things in there though that you know I wasn't sure if they were good. Like for instance, the unemployment rate for women being the lowest in 70 years. Well, first off, 70 years ago there was a lot less women working, and they probably preferred it that way. And then he said last year women filled 72% of all new jobs. I'm not totally sure if that's a good thing. You know, I, I don't know how to know, but do all those, you know, 72% were filled by women? Do, did they all want to work or did they have to work? Because life's too expensive and, you know, the, the husband doing having a job, you know, isn't enough. So these, you know, women have to go out and get maybe two jobs or, or, or a job where they previously or otherwise wouldn't have. So I, I'm a little skeptical that that's even a good thing. But, um, you know, I think feminists don't view it that way. Um, and they'll, you know, they shouldn't be complaining about that, that statistic. So I don't know. But I will say um, also, despite the number might not being, you know, the low unemployment number not being something he should take credit for, uh, despite that talk, I, it was very good, in my opinion, to mention that the unemployment rate for African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Hispanics are all low. And specifically to me that the unemployment rate for African-American youth is at an all-time low. Because when it comes to youth, it doesn't matter if they're good or bad jobs. It's just they have a job. It doesn't matter what they're earning. Who cares? They don't have responsibilities. They don't have to pay for bills. It's just uh, – sorry, they don't have to pay for bills. It's just that they have responsibility now because they have a job. They're learning something. They're learning how to show up on time. They're learning how to keep a job. They're learning how to talk to people. You know, um, that's very good. If I, I'm not black, so I, I don't know how they would take it. But I think if I were, that would be a huge thing for me. I, 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 it should be for them, for the black community, to see that African-American youth unemployment is at an all-time low. That should be good if it's true. Right. No, I, I, I'd agree with all that. And I, I also agree with you on that comment about women. It's like, I mean, how do you get the the poll of like all the women? Do they want to work, not want to work? Right. I, I mean, years ago, they didn't work. Some of it was because they were discriminated against. And some of it was because maybe they didn't want to work or they didn't have to work. But nowadays, you, you it's really hard to raise a family on a single right. salary. So now it's like because of inflation, 
probably primarily yes. because of inflation, they are you're forced to work. So yes, they can't stay home and take care of the kids anymore, even if they wanted to. You're stuck sticking them in some kind of government daycare, and then you're going to work and getting a job, whether you want to or not, in order to just pay the bills. I think it's, it, yeah, we're we're better off as a society if women have the choice, right? If we can have the choice, whether it's the man or the woman goes to work and the other spouse stays home, you're better off having the choice of one spouse working, not being in a situation where both spouses have to work. So I agree with you there. Yeah, I. I suspect that that stat is bad for all those reasons because you look around rents and are at all are seriously super high everywhere you go. Food is insanely expensive, you know, compared to just when I was in high school. Um, it's uh, it's hard to to pay for your your just normal living nowadays, especially because now you have all these costs that you can't possibly ignore. Like everyone needs high speed internet, everyone needs their smartphone with tons of data. Everyone feels like they need Netflix and Hulu and everything else. So there's just a lot to pay for. So I, I suspect that having a lot more women in the workforce and them taking up seventy two percent of new jobs isn't actually a great thing. The thing is what you just said about the most ideal situation where, where women have the choice because the economy is so good and, and we have enough money to live and, and not spend everything, um, where they can ch choose to stay home or, or not. That choice, yeah, I think that's ideal, but the Democrat side, the left side, would never concede that point, okay? So they'll they'll never agree with you there. They're this new age feminist type of thing where a man, you know, a woman should be doing everything a man can do and and all this stuff. Um, they can't argue that stat. There's no way they'll look at that stat and, and bring up the points that we just brought up. That's right, yeah. I Even mean, though they should. So it's a winner to say it. I don't know. Just on a, on a personal level, if, if, my, if my wife made enough to support you know, everything we wanted to do as a family and I could stay home and take care of the kids, I would. And I, and I wouldn't feel bad about it at all. I, I would love to, to be home with the children. No, I mean, people, we've seen that, whether it's women or, or men, whoever, it, it really doesn't matter, to be honest. Like, that's the sexist part of it, to be honest. Um, if there's one person in the house that, that can, can provide by, you know, paying the bills because they went to work, while the other one gets to take care of the kids, raise them, and that's their job now. If they don't raise them good, then they failed their job. But raise them, educate them good, teach them good values, teach them, you know, how, how to be great kids and um, all that kind of stuff. Support the person who's who's uh, making money and whatever the case. Um, that's that's a, not an easy task, and it's something that shouldn't be, you know, put in a down light it should be put in a great light typically over tradition of time it's been a, a woman having that role um because some of the more labor you know intensive jobs would be obviously filled by men you're not going to have a lot of minors and stuff as women throughout history right uh, so that's why it's been men but no as long as one had the ability to do that then that would be the most ideal okay so to keep things moving forward um trump brought up GDP growth, and rather than get into the specifics, I went and looked at it for uh, the past, let's say, 15 years. George Bush and Barack Obama had higher quarterly GDP numbers than Trump has had. So, in, in fact, Obama had at least four quarters higher than Trump's highest quarter so far. And Barack Obama inherited a recession from George Bush. Okay. So, um, Oh, back to jobs. The non-farm payroll job growth is about the same as it was under Barack Obama, so no big difference there. The average wage growth is better under Trump than it was under Barack Obama. However, the trend is about the same as it was since 2013. So, and, and actually, if you go back and look under George Bush, the wage growth was higher under Bush than it was under Trump, but let's not forget that the, the spike in wage growth under George Bush happened towards the end of his term, and that's when we were going through that crazy housing boom phase. Mm -hmm. um, as a corollary, the real median household income is higher under Trump than it is under Obama, but the trend from Obama to Trump is the same, okay? Uh, I did have a one or at least a couple more I guess, economic numbers here. Okay, the other thing, the stock market. 
right? So if you look at the S&P 500 as like a broad measure of the stock market, yes, the S&P 500 is higher under Trump than it was under Obama. However, we are on the exact same trend as when it was under Barack Obama. So going back to 2009, the trend uh, is on the same line upwards from 2009 to 2020. And remember, when Donald Trump was campaigning back in 2015 and 2016, he called the stock market a big, fat, ugly bubble. And he was right to call it a big, fat, ugly bubble under, um, under Obama. But this bubble looks like it's just only gotten bigger. What do you think? I use the Dow Jones personally. I don't know if I'm supposed to be using the S&P. And when you use the Dow Jones, the trend is definitely not, you know, just what it would have been. It's definitely it definitely is a big jump up with with Trump here. Um, and I, like I said, I don't know if I'm using the wrong thing to measure sort of the bold overall look at stocks. Um, but the, the Dow Jones has has jolted because of because of Trump and. Is it in a bubble? I would say so. I mean, look, we this is the longest expansion and the longest upswing of of U.S. stocks and and and, and the economy in general. The numbers in probably the history. I mean, without a correction, without an actual recession, um, and I think it's a bubble created from you know Fed policy under Obama that has been progressed. But we did, you know, I, I think more than Fed policy too. I think the the stocks want a reason. To get bigger, the big players in stock, they in in equities and in, in Wall Street, they just want a narrative that they can keep on, you know, and grab a hold of and use. And I do think the tax cuts and Trump being pro-American and and Trump being, you know, getting us back on the main stage, good for the dollar, all this stuff, is what the the Wall Street sort of used as, yay, the party's still going on. I don't know if it's the same exact bubble. That Obama, you know, inflated. It's a little different to me. Okay. And and housing is a big part of it too nowadays. I mean, we're we're getting very, we're getting close to what it was uh, pre-08 crash in housing. I mean, people are excited. There's probably just as much or close to as much investors in, in the housing. I mean, you're able to get a, a normal person like me can can get probably five loans from banks before we have to go look at hard money or private money. The loans are there. I mean, they weren't there around 2010 and 11. You, you know, you couldn't refi back then. I mean, so we're back into the, the housing boom and the, and the and real estate investment boom right now. And that's definitely driving things up. Yeah, I, I think it's very bubblicious. Um, yeah. I, I definitely think the deregulation by Trump has helped and lowering the corporate tax rate has helped keep this bubble going. And the sentiment of just having a businessman in the White House has, has helped as well. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's made the bubble bigger. And usually that means that when the bubble pops, it's going to be a huge pop as opposed to a smaller pop. So, yeah, I guess there, there's bad with good, right? Or good with bad. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, we, we can't really get away from talking about the deficit, even though Trump did not mention the deficit at, at all, at once, or the debt at all during his speech. So the federal mm -hmm. deficit under Trump has increased every year so far. We are approaching the recession slash, you know, post-recession Barack Obama levels again of spending. We're now up to about a trillion dollar deficit every year with probably multi-trillion dollar deficits probably for the years to come. So if the economy, here's a good question, if the economy is doing so good, why can't Trump cut government spending, right? If it's the best economy we've ever had, then shouldn't he be able to cut government spending a little bit? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're tapping into some of what, you know, is the truth and sort of what can be... Um said as some Trump lies here or definitely hyping up things that aren't totally true. Um, he sort of wants to have his cake and eat it too in, in this area. The, if the economy is doing as good as he says and as good as he's trying to make it out to be, then we should be able to cut a lot of things. We should be able to to sort of uh, pay down the, the amount we owe and the deficit shouldn't be so big. The national debt soared under him right now. It's just like no one cares about that issue. You know, it's a ticking time bomb. Right, and, and and no one really cares, but the voters just ignore it too because they never see any repercussions of it. So they figure, ah, it's not really gonna. It never does anything. I know it's sad because eventually they will, and by then, 
you know, everybody that got rich off of the boom and uh, in the, the bubble and the market and all the different, actually all the different markets that are kind of bubbling and it's going to be so painful for everybody later on. Yeah, I, I don't know if you it sort of related to that. I don't know if you caught it when he mentioned something about China and, and working with China and part of that, the stuff that they were working towards, you know, the intellectual property thing and this and that was uh, buying up more U.S. Treasury bonds. You know, I thought that was interesting because that's part of what we're talking about. I mean, we're the all these U.S. Treasury bonds come with the short-term interest payment. I mean, and how much... Could, how could we possibly uh, afford that payment, you know, and expect, have the debt go? You know, the debt is just a ticking tie bomb. I don't see how we could possibly get underneath it and out of it. He's obviously trying to find buyers for our debt, which is sad because the optics of our Fed just buying the government debt is horrible. He can't let that happen. Um, okay, so aside from economics, there was one other topic I wanted to bring up before, but I forgot. But it's an important one. So Trump mentioned criminal justice reform and i think anything he can get done in this area more than he already has done i think is a great idea i don't think people should be in jail for non-violent drug offenses and that would be a huge boon to the economy and to the budget right because we put somebody in jail for a non-violent crime and guess what the taxpayer has to pay to keep that person in jail so they can go out and get a job and start being a productive member of society again. So I think it's it's a win-win. What do you think? Yeah, uh, is, I think it's a win as far as optics goes. Again, it's it's something that um, he played during the Super Bowl, one of his commercials, and I think it looks good. It looks good for him. That's about all I could really say on that one. It's, I think it looks good for that base, anyway, for the type of audience he's going after and trying to get. So, Joey, we're getting kind of long in the podcast now. Do you have any other, guys? I guess, moments in the State of the Union address you want to talk about? Well, I liked all the moments where he brought up the people, like I said before, the props that you call them. Um, you know, he brought up, he, he mentioned some 13-year-old kid, Ian uh, Lanfei, I think his name was. And um, he had dreams of going to space, he said, and he's the youngest in his class of the Aviation Academy, and he aspires to go to the Air Force and then after Air Force, he has his eyes set on the Space Force. And that's pretty much how Trump says Space Force, by the way, every time he mentions it, Space Force. <laughs> and um, then he said, you know, um, you know, and right behind Ian is Charles McGee, who is the one of the last surviving Tuskegee Airmen, uh, which is a group of, you know, the first black fighter pilots. And uh, he's Ian's gr grandfather. So I thought that was really cool. And again, it was part of the beginning where he's showing all the audience shout outs and they're, they're pretty much all minorities. So this was, you know, recognizing one of the first black fighter pilots, Charles McGee. And uh, that was cool because he's an old guy. He was Ian's great grandfather. I'm sorry, I said grandfather, but great grandfather. And um, one thing that didn't look good, though, is poor Charles McGee had 100 years old. He just turned 100 and they made him stand up on three separate occasions with all the applauding. Because after every line of this whole thing, this is the thing that made it real long, you had to stand and applaud. So Charles had to stand and applaud three times, his 100-year-old <laughs> niece. Did you see that? Yeah. Um, I felt bad for him. I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously, uh, knowing me, I'm completely against any sort of new branch of military, especially a space force. I can't imagine the amount of money. Wait, you didn't say it right. I can't. Oh, space force, right? There you go. I, I can't imagine the amount of money that was going to get sunk into this over the next, I don't know, how many years. Oh, my God. It, it's just another government boondoggle. Oh, geez. To think that the amount of money we spend now on our military is ridiculous. It's going to get even more ridiculous. I am completely fine with space exploration. Uh, I, I'd rather leave it to the private sector. And yeah, that kid can jump on Elon Musk's team and then be the first person on Mars. That'd be great. I just don't think, I don't think that purview belongs to our federal government. Um, I do have, uh, I guess, a wrap-up statement. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to say, Joey? No, that's good. So I guess overall... The State of the Union speech was good and uplifting. It talked about, you know, some of his accomplishments. I mean, overall, there are a lot of platitudes, a lot of braggadocious comments and embellishments. 
So yeah, at the end of the day, it kind of it looks like a big campaign speech. So it looks like the 2020 Trump campaign has been officially kicked off. I can't say I blame him for that because this is what every other president would do anyway. And this is what pretty much every president has done for the past, ooh, I don't know, 100 years or so. Anyway, uh, no president will come out and say the State of the Union, uh, yeah, things suck, and it's, <laughs> we're in a big fat bubble, and we're going to cut these 10 government programs. I mean, right. th they exactly. will, they'll never, ever say that, unfortunately. So for me, I mean, the big wins, the big wins in this State of the Union talk uh, were the possibility of some sort of school choice program being rolled out nationwide, and the possibility of finally ending the war in Afghanistan, finally, after like 20 years, right? If he can get those two things done, despite all his boasting and braggadocious comments, despite you know, a lot of the other things I disagree with him on, on foreign policy and domestic policy and his spending, then I still believe he's got a very good chance to be a very successful and a good president if he can get those things done. Okay, guys, thank you for listening. And let's remember to keep those fires of liberty burning bright. Bye.